Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, a.k.a. Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. Welcome back to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast. Uh, it is Tuesday, January 28th. My name is Jake Luke, uh, and I'm joined by a very good friend of mine who I have not talked to in, you know, it's been too long. Let's just be honest. It's Vasily Rikos. What's up, dog? Everything is good. I'm excellent. How you doing, brother? Uh, I'm doing good. A um, little bit of a weird couple of days around here. Um, I mean, around anywhere, honestly. You know, the news that rocked not only the sports world, but uh, really just the world in general. Uh, Kobe Bryant passing away at the age of 41, him and his daughter, and I believe seven other people other than those two uh, in a tragic helicopter crash. Just a very strange, bizarre thing to wrap your head around. Um, You know, I sort of struggled with it a little bit the last couple of days because he's been uh, somebody that, as a person who was born in the mid-90s, he's just always been a part of my life. He's just always been there no matter what I thought of him at different points. Um, but you know, the last couple of years I'd really come around to the guy I really, uh, enjoyed what he was doing post career. I thought, uh, his, you know, parenting obviously seemed to be something that was really coming into form and, uh, was something that was very much on full display as we were seeing with the, uh, social media outpouring, but, uh, just a guy who, and I was talking about this a little bit on Twitter. He's a guy who just, pushed boundaries and, uh, you know, taught people to always bet on themselves. So, uh, I think, uh, you know, regardless of what you think of him, I think we lost a very impactful figure in that way. And, uh, it's, it's been a weird couple of days. That's well said, Jake. It's, uh, what an absolute tragedy, deepest sympathies to his wife and his surviving children. 
Personally, I was truly taken back by how many people felt a personal connection to Kobe, not just on Twitter, but uh, everyone on the Slack chats and group texts and even random email chains from people who aren't even sports fans. Uh, it, it struck me as a, a testament to the legacy of Kobe. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even really realize it totally when he was still here, which, you know, maybe that's sad. But, you know, to me, ultimately, I think uh, it's just a testament to him that uh, his impact was something that, you know, was so great on me that it was subconscious. And, uh, you know, that work ethic, that drive and uh, just the commitment to being a family, man. I mean, he's obviously a complicated guy. He's got some complicated things in his past. So whatever you think of that, you're free to think. Uh, But I would just say you know, in this time, don't tell people how to, how to think of on this or how to grieve. Uh, and if you are feeling really affected by this, that's okay. Like take some time to think through it and, uh, you know, ha- you know, feel those feelings because no matter what you feel, it is valid. Uh, and just kind of let people process this in, uh, the way that they ultimately see fit, because this is, uh, one of the most impactful things I can definitely remember, uh, in my 24 years of life. So, yeah. No, I completely agree. Nobody has a right to tell somebody else how they should grieve and not to get too philosophical, but, you know, everybody, no one lives forever. And uh, we all aim to leave a legacy, I believe. And uh, Kobe certainly did. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things where he was a guy who it felt like he was going to be around forever. And I mean, obviously, like you mentioned, nobody is. But, you know, at the very least, you'd think he'd be around for another 40 years sitting next to Jack Nicholson at Lakers games and stuff and just kind of being a part of the NBA community and, you know, being a father to his uh, children and, uh, you know, a a husband to his wife and just kind of raising a family. Unfortunately, uh, not going to happen. But with the way that, you know, the response came out, uh, I think he did things just about as good as you could probably do them for a guy who was on Earth for 41 years. For sure. Yep. So with that somber bit of news out of the way, I guess we've got to pull together a little bit, uh, talk a little bit of Ravens football. What do you say, bud? Let's do it. Yeah. So, I mean, that news obviously came uh, down on Sunday, which brought a little bit of a weird coloring to the Pro Bowl from both a viewing perspective and from a playing perspective. It seemed like it seemed like the players were processing it in an interesting way. There was, you know, sideline interviews where they would be being asked about it during the game, which was bizarre. But ultimately, during the game, you had Lamar Jackson. He obviously touched on it. And uh, he also had a decent little effort out there. He started things off a little rough through an interception in the end zone, but rebounded to throw two touchdowns, one of them to Mark Andrews. And he finished the game with the Pro Bowl MVP. Uh, how much, like, uh, as, as far as you caring about something like that, like one through 10, what, what does that register for you? Um. I, I usually don't watch the Pro Bowl at all, and I'll admit that I watched it this year. A little bit of a disappointing end to the season, but uh, at least you see the players out there together one last time. I thought it was nice to see how well represented the Ravens were from the coaching staff and 13, 12, 13 guys. And Mark Andrews had a big game. Always nice to see uh, one of the Ravens performing at their best when they're playing against the best. I also thought it was interesting uh, the last play where Earl Thomas intercepted the ball, he lateraled to Marlon Humphrey, and then Humphrey lateraled to Judon. You know, the whole 22 guys are out there. It could have went to anybody. It looked Just like guys they being dudes out there. They, they were specifically targeting the Ravens, uh, their teammates, and I thought that was a cool way to end the season that was uh, so full of camaraderie to have those three all looking out for each other one last time. Yeah, man, it was very cool. Um, I did not watch the game. I'll be very upfront about that, but I watched the highlights, and I did uh, kind of notice that and think that was a funny little touch. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a 
cool to see those guys out there having fun together. And, you know, you're glad ultimately that they can just kind of, it seems they were very loose. You know, I was talking about this with uh, Daniel Oyafusi from the Baltimore Sun uh, on our most recent episode. We were talking about how they seem very loose and happy and kind of moved on from what had happened with the Titans game. And that's a good thing, man. Like, I don't want them to be sitting there and stewing all offseason about it and thinking about it over and over again. Like, I was talking to Spencer about it, too, where like it felt like with the Bears, with the double doink, that was their entire offseason focus was like, oh, we got to find a kicker and we need to like, you know, redeem that loss it's like well you don't have to focus too hard on it just you know go out there and be yourself and play your game and move on from the past and everything will work itself out and uh i think uh them playing well in the pro bowl and looking like they were having fun uh that's you know at least to me it seems like a little bit of a symbol that that is uh indeed happening agreed and perhaps a bit of a recruiting tool as well player good players want to play with other teams that are having fun that have other good players around and that give them a shot to, uh, to put a ring on their finger. So having that kind of Pro Bowl, these kind of players, and the coaching staff as well, definitely can't hurt. Yeah, and I think uh, the good performance by Lamar, it, it was a weird week uh, with him. He's obviously a polarizing player for reasons that I can't entirely understand because he is just objectively a good person uh, who works hard and seems to do a good job. Uh, within the community. But uh, yeah, like I said, you know, he's a polarizing guy and he goes out there and kind of stinks it up in one of those skills passing challenges or whatever. And then people are putting that out there on Twitter as if that's some sort of evidence that his passing ability is still to be questioned. Uh, And then he goes out there and wins the Pro Bowl MVP. In my mind, both of those things, you know, ultimately kind of meaningless, but uh, you can't have one without the other. So for the people that were saying that, you know, his passing skills still need to be questioned because of something as stupid as a skills challenge, I think him going out there and winning the Pro Bowl MVP was a nice little fuck you to those people. Yeah, well, I didn't watch the skills challenge, but I think he did better than some of the other quarterbacks in one of the other competitions. And and I think the the haters fuel Lamar in a way, and I think that's probably a benefit uh, long term to the Ravens. So let them hate. It's only jealousy. Yeah, ultimately, I think uh, that probably is a good thing. I don't think uh, I mean, mean, obviously, looking back at last offseason, he clearly took all those insults that were kind of being lobbied his way uh, to heart. And he kind of, you know, he wasn't cocky about it, but every now and then he would throw in a little jab here and there, like not bad for a running back. And like there, yep. he'd be on social media saying, oh, that couldn't be me. I can't throw, you know, like he, you know, he clearly takes that stuff to heart and uses it as motivation uh, while also, I think, going about it the right way and kind of not going too far uh, with throwing it back in people's faces. He just kind of lets this play do the talking. And uh, that's what he did over this past weekend. And all the metrics inside the pocket passer rating from PFF, he was elite. So that's all people really need to say if uh, if they want to question his passing ability. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to PFF Gordon and uh, he reminded me that, you know, he led the league in touchdown passes from the pocket. You know, he didn't just lead the league in touchdown passes. He did that. But from the pocket, I mean, that's a pretty impressive thing. And obviously he had it two different games where he threw five touchdowns. I mean, that's not exactly something that you can couch that in because it's impressive in and of itself. But uh, even with those two uh, games standing out, you know, it's just an impressive 16 game season for him. And uh, yeah, I'm excited about uh, what uh, we're going to be seeing them put around him in the coming offseason, which we're going to be touching on. But before we get to that, one more bit of news. Uh, ESPN's Adam Schefter. It looks like he put this back out on the uh, 19th. I don't actually remember seeing his initial piece of reporting. I think I saw it coming out of uh, Jonah Schaefer, friend of the show from Baltimore Sun, uh, saying that Ravens defensive end Matthew Judon is a candidate for the franchise tag and is drawing trade inquiries from other teams. 
with the knowledge that he is a tag candidate currently being out there? Uh, I, there's been some reporting that Judon was a tag, franchise tag, probable candidate, I guess about a month ago. So it doesn't come as a surprise. There's only so many above average, and in Judon's case, Pro Bowl edge rushers. Uh, I don't see why, if you have the space to keep a player like that, a team would not. And uh, I think they'd explore trade options for 80% of the roster, if not more. Yeah, I mean, you have to keep all your options open, right? And especially with a guy who is going to be at his highest market value maybe ever in his career, you got to think. I guess hopefully not for him and for the Ravens should they retain him. But, I mean, it's sky high right now. So you got to... You know, look at all the possibilities, especially when he's going to cost you a lot of money to bring him back. But uh, ultimately, I kind of think this I'm not even totally sure who this would be coming from, but it sort of to me feels a little bit like contract posturing. I'm pretty optimistic they're going to get something done, uh, even if it is just the franchise tag for this year and then, you know, long term uh, down the road. But ultimately, it just feels like uh, reports like this are kind of getting pushed out all the time. And until something actually happens on a trade front, like maybe an offer gets leaked or something, I'm not totally going to be believing that, you know, it's something that's necessarily anything to be concerned about quite yet. Right. A possibility of two possibilities happening isn't necessarily news. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) But yeah, man, I mean, I think that's all we got uh, news wise, unless anything else you had you want to throw in there? No, I think that covers it. Getting ready for uh, the off season, some, uh, one of my favorite parts of the year, to be honest. I think I gotta agree with you, man. I was uh, that kid that uh, would play Madden and sim through games, you know, in the first year or two or whatever to build the team up. I just love getting into the uh, the off season stuff, building up rosters. I just I can't get enough of it. Uh, as nerdy as that sounds, well, I don't really care. I'm a nerd. You know, kill me for it, whatever. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I figured I'd get you on here. You're a big. Uh, salary cap guy you love roster construction um and you know it's just kind of your whole deal so uh, what do you say we jump right into it let's go cool so just going position by position i guess we can start uh number one with quarterback not a whole lot to say here i guess you got lamar jackson locked up for another three years with the uh uh, fifth year option on his rookie contract pretty much you know you'd have to think guaranteed at this point to be picked up uh he would have to really bottom out for that not to be the case in two years so locked up for three years uh so behind him this is where it does get interesting you have a pretty promising i would say second year guy i know spencer and i had a lot of fun with uh, trace mcsorley back in camp last summer but he you know all jokes aside really did have a impressive preseason and then in front of him you got a guy under contract for one more year who it's pretty clear he wants to still be a starter. So I think at what point and at what compensation does Robert Griffin III become a trade target? And at what you know compensation do you think that they'd be willing to move on from him? Um, that's a difficult question, to be honest. I'm not sure what the market is for, for RG3. Um, like how many teams really need a quarterback out there? And then there's, what, three or four pretty good-looking rookies coming into the class I think he's probably going to stick, to be honest. And I think it's it's good to have his veteran presence and he, his mentorship for Lamar for one more year. And then McSorley can become the number two. What the, what the Ravens would want in return, um, I don't know, maybe a third-round, fourth-round pick maybe? I'm not, I really haven't thought about it much. I guess the other note on the quarterback room, and they're very well-stocked, assuming they keep RG3 for 2020 – um, the, this may be the last year of Lamar's cheap rookie deal. After three years accrued, players can sign extensions, and most of the best quarterbacks have signed 
lucrative extensions after their third year. Um, so this may might be the last one with that two and a half million dollar cap charge in 2020. The the uh, to really maximize that window. Yeah, it's a weird conversation because you have Pat Mahomes in the exact same situation, and uh, I think the prevailing idea is that he's going to become the first two hundred million dollar player. I think rightfully so. And then the question becomes with Lamar's representation. I know he doesn't have an agent. I mean, what what is the idea going to be is are they going to be able to get him up to that Pat Mahomes number over it because it seems like all these quarterbacks do is just they're just wait for one guy to break the bank and then they get their representation in there and they say hey we want just a little bit more than that guy so is is Lamar going to be able to based on his own merits I mean I know he's done a lot but is he going to be able to draw that 200 million dollar price tag it's interesting and uh, I would say while that you know chance of having him cheap kind of maybe goes away after that third year it could also be a thing where maybe you want to cash in a little bit early on him and say hey we'll uh, sign you up long term give you some good guaranteed money you're not going to be you know the highest paid guy uh necessarily and you're not really going to be uh blowing a ton of other figures out the water but we're going to pay you a lot and uh we're going to give you let's say four years a la what la did with like jared goff last year uh or even philly with carson wentz just things to keep their young guys in the picture, keep them happy uh, and, you know, pay them a good amount of money, but not go too nuts. Uh, I think that would maybe be in the best interest for everyone. But it's, you know, it's going to be a tough thing, uh, you know, in terms of doing so, because it, it's going to be very contingent upon what he does this coming year. Oh, for sure. And if he stacks up another MVP season on top of the one he just had, he will be right up there with Mahomes probably probably legitimately worth more than uh than Watson and Wilson who are probably in my mind at least those are the big four top four quarterbacks in the league these days and Mahomes might be a, a cut above um Lamar is also going to have a lot of opportunities to make money off endorsements and maybe they can say let's uh let's take a little bit of a haircut here so we can keep this team together and all your buddies and uh, but who knows? I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but certainly something to think about long term. Just to reset the cap, the Ravens have approximately 30 million in disposable cap space for the 2020 offseason. That includes making a few cuts, which we'll touch on, but then also reserving some money to sign the rookie class and some in-season reserve contingency and offering up some tenders. So 30 million is a pretty solid number to work off of uh, as we as we tick down these positions. Yeah, and I mean that's something that we're definitely going to get to. Like you mentioned, we might be getting a little bit ahead of our ourselves with the Lamar contract talk. But uh, yeah, I think I'm with you as far as the backups. I think you keep RG3 around for another year uh, and then, you know, let him go do what he wants. We'll see if he gets the opportunity to become a starter. I might have my doubts on that a little bit, but whatever he wants to do, I, you know, he's done his time here and done a good job. And uh, McSorley hopefully can build off a good preseason performance last year and uh, eventually become that number two guy. But uh, moving on to the other position within the backfield, initial thoughts on the running back position. That's another position where the Ravens don't really need to add right now, at least between uh, Ingram, Gus Edwards, who's an exclusive rights free agent who can be under he's under team control. So they just have to tender him and he's close to the league minimum, uh, at least for one more year. And then Justice Hill, who showed some promise. It's a pretty good crop of uh of running backs in this draft class but i think it's more of a 2021 need uh it, when ingram may start to decline a little bit as he enters his early 30s 
right now I think they're okay. The Ravens do have are projected to have nine draft picks, including seven in the top 150. Um, but I, I still would prefer that they would wait, even if they do take a running back, to give Hill a little competition, wait until one of their last picks at, at most. Yeah, I think the move definitely is to wait. Got Ingram under contract for another two years. I think uh, Edwards is what, an RFA uh, this year. Is that correct? ERF, exclusive rights free agent. Yeah, so, so he, he, he's, gonna he's be not going pick. anywhere. Yeah, so he's going to be in the picture. I liked what I saw from Hill a lot at the end of this season. He's surprisingly good as a, a power back. You know, his game coming out of OK State seemed to be the guy who would be the uh, swing pass specialist and that pass catcher out of the backfield. And he probably still is going to be that uh, to some capacity within this offense. But I liked what I saw from him from a versatility standpoint. Very impressed with Justice Hill. Uh, so, yeah, like you said, maybe 2021, uh, they feel the need to uh, maybe grab a guy in the middle round somewhere to potentially challenge Ingram. Uh, but I, I just don't see the need as of yet. Uh, moving on to other positions, I don't really see a ton of need to address a whole lot. Tight end, uh, Mark Andrews coming off an outstanding year, pro bowler. Uh, and then you have two guys behind him, Hayden Hurst and Nick Boyle, who could probably start for other teams as well. Yeah, that's uh, as far as the least needy positions, tight end, running back and quarterback are probably the, you know, the best well-stocked right now uh it's worth mentioning boyle andrews and hurst will all, all three of their contracts will expire in 2021 i guess right card we didn't mention him project pat our guy uh he's i think 2022 um uh, but the, regardless so all three of those contracts are going to expire in 2021 uh, andrews could be a prime candidate for an early extension next offseason after he plays his third year i would think yeah, you got to think so. I mean, he's been the guy who has uh, performed the best out of the three, and he was a third-round pick in the same year that Hurst got picked himself. So you'd think that Hurst uh, is maybe eventually going to move on. Maybe they uh, find a, a better, a bigger role for him in this offense, and they find a way to lock him up, a la the Patriots back in the day with Gronk and uh, Aaron Hernandez, who they wanted to keep in the picture uh, with one another. Eventually, you got to think one of these guys is going to be the odd man out, but they just locked up Boyle last offseason to a uh, decent deal. I think three years it was, like you mentioned, and then you've got the other guys locked up as well. And then obviously Pat Ricard is kind of in the mix there as another guy who was also locked up and also plays that position a little bit for them. Uh, it would not surprise me in the slightest to see them pick a tight end at some point in the coming draft, though. Like in it, this coming draft? Yeah, just a weird gut feeling that, like, you know, it, you think you have them figured out sometimes, and then they just go and do something that you're like, what are you doing? And in the moment, maybe it's like, well, what are they doing? This is a terrible idea. And then ultimately it proves to be uh, something smart. It's like I was not huge on the Marlon Humphrey pick when it happened. I've talked about this a lot. I thought they were fine at cornerback that offseason, but uh, wound up being a great pick. This would obviously be something different with uh, three very good tight ends and a uh, fullback that rotates into that room. But I, it just... <laughs> I don't know, man. It wouldn't surprise me. I think Spencer and I have talked about this a little bit. <laughs> you never know. It'd be, I think it'd be tough to squeeze them on the uh, the final fifty three. Another, you, you got to think, kinda, yeah. <laughs> but uh, and they had a couple decent uh, guys out in training camp. Scarf, I think, was one of the guys. But uh, yeah, they love their tight ends, that's for sure. And we know Ozzy still has a little bit of say too. Let's not forget that. I was gonna say Ozzy's just so addicted to picking tight ends that he's gonna like hijack the room from Decosta and like pick Thad Moss in the second round or something. But uh, <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> yeah. So moving on, uh, let's take a look at the wide receiver position. Always a hotly contested position in these parts. It certainly is, and every single year, as long as I can remember. 
Uh, wide receiver has been an immediate need, a pressing need. Fortunately, the Ravens hit, and uh, and that's one of the players that I was wrong on. I was thinking about what were I, what was I right on, or what was I wrong on preseason back when I was still hosting the pod on a regular basis, and I didn't think Hollywood was going to have a big rookie year, and he certainly proved me wrong. So that's great. Um, so they have Hollywood. Uh, Tacosta gave Willie Sneed an early extension. Miles Boykin, uh, who had a pretty solid rookie year, I think. And Jaleel Scott are under contract. Chris Moore, Seth Roberts, and DeAnthony Thomas, the kick return specialist, are all unrestricted free agents. In my view, Brown, Sneed, and Boykin uh, form a solid makings of a top four. And I think you need to add one more piece there. I uh, personally am opposed to uh, the free agent going the free agent route. A.J. Green or Amari Cooper, a little bit injury prone. I'm not in favor of paying up for a one-trick pony like Robbie Anderson. Really, the reason is the outstanding talent and depth of this rookie class. I'd much prefer to double dip in the draft yet again with uh, and add two more re- receivers that can grow with Lamar in this young offense. Yeah, so I'm kind of with you there uh, with the Hollywood thing. You know, he proved you wrong in kind of a weird way where it wasn't necessarily the production. I, he didn't. He had good numbers, but they weren't necessarily huge uh, compared to some other rookie season we've we've seen because of the injuries that limited him a little bit. But as far as game tape, game tape, you nailed it, man. He's uh, definitely looking like he's going to be a very good NFL receiver and a, a big part of this offense in the immediate future. So uh, good pick by them. It was a pick that I, uh, you know, you mentioned. What did you get wrong? And what did you get right? For me, I like the pick all the way. I thought he was going to have a good role in this offense i'd in fact like to see them increase uh, his versatility a little bit more i thought uh he did a great job a even better job than i expected with short to intermediate routes and uh was also good with the deep ball at times so uh, yeah very impressive complete rookie season just got to figure out how to stay healthy uh so let's hook him up with some good trainers and nutritionists and uh make it happen for him because the dude is very promising as far as outside of him, yeah, I like Boykin a lot too. I think he had a good rookie season for a guy that you picked in the third round is, you know, kind of a red zone jump ball specialist, kind of a different player than, you know, a lot of people were maybe expecting for a dude his size. Definitely more of a finesse type guy, I thought, uh, than, you know, that power forward than some people were expecting, uh, which is interesting, but I think he could still have a good role in this offense. Sneed, I like a lot. He's, you know, solid, dependable veteran. Uh, as for me, I'd like to see them bring in maybe a mid-tier veteran and then draft a guy relatively highly as well. I think that would be the right idea here because it feels like there's a little bit of a disparity where if Willie Sneed is like your big, like respected veteran in the locker room, then maybe you want to add one more guy in there. No disrespect to Willie Sneed, of course, but it just feels like you could maybe get a little more gravitas in that room and you could also maybe get some uh, younger, fresh legs in there as well. So for me, I'd probably say uh, let's have them go you know, one of each uh, in both of the different routes that you can go. And maybe that's via trade. I don't know. I mean, maybe you could get a mid-tier veteran who wants to go to a contending team. And uh, what do you give up, a third or a second round pick for a guy who's very productive at the wide receiver position? That seemed to, seems to be the going rate these days. So if they have to do that to uh, go and get the right name at the right price, then that's something that I'd potentially be interested in seeing happen. Not a bad plan. I think we're in agreement that uh, adding two more capable players is the route. Who do you have in mind? Any any names jump out at you at this stage of the offseason? Man, off the top of my head, it's really tough. Um, so <laughs> short answer, not really. But I just it just feels like they are just able to make these moves happen sometimes. Like I 
remember the Anquan Bolden thing coming down? I mean, what did they give up a third round pick for him from Arizona? And that was just a guy yeah. who was just, you know, kind of he was a very good receiver, but he was kind of sort of just dwindling there behind Larry Fitzgerald and sort of seen as that second fiddle. If you can find a guy like that, and like I said, maybe I should have prepped for this uh, position a little bit better and maybe found a couple of guys uh, in mind, but I'm sure we'll touch on that at some point down the line here, uh, you know, with these offseason yeah. preview pods. How about we the, doing? Dez? You like Dez? I, yeah, you know, I don't mind it. Like, I kind of want to pipe down a little bit on Twitter. I mean, I, I don't want to sound like shitty saying that or anything. I just think that, you know, maybe start sending the right message by just kind of getting in the lab and just getting off Twitter for a little bit and saying like, all right, like I'm ready to take this seriously. I'm ready to get signed. Like whatever you need from me, I, I will come in and uh, be that for you. I don't have to be the big vocal Des Bryant that uh, is going to ruffle feathers and, you know, kind of get into the media. I don't think Des is a bad guy at all. Just I think there's a little bit of a circus surrounding him right now, which I don't love for a team that is going to be trying to win a Super Bowl this year. But I think, yeah, I mean, the more that so it's funny because my friend mentioned him to me a couple of weeks ago and I kind of was like, what? Like, what do you, I, Des is done. And then I kind of thought about it and I was like, well, why? Like the guy's 31. He's obviously not who he was uh, back when he got drafted a decade ago. Can't believe it's been a decade. That's a little weird, but why can't the guy come in and still be like a third or fourth receiver on a team and be productive? I think he could be a guy who I talked about Willie Sneed, not necessarily bringing a ton of gravitas. Well, there's a guy who's been, uh, a pro bowler and uh, played in some pretty big games over the years. So he, he could, you know, maybe be a good option there. I could, I could see both sides of the Des argument. I'm not sure what he necessarily brings at this stage that the tight ends don't, but uh, if he has his head on straight, he couldn't hurt. I really do think the Ravens should take advantage of this rookie class though. And I think we're in agreement that Henry Ruggs out of Alabama, he's the dream scenario if he's available at 28. If not, there's a lot to like about Justin Jefferson's game. Um, he actually could uh, compare to a young Des Bryant in some ways. I prefer uh, Jefferson to Higgins, T. Higgins out of Clemson personally. And LaVisca Chenault, another fine first-round option who would add to the complexity of Greg Roman's scheme. He's that movable chess piece type of receiver. Also, big body can get downfield. And as far, as far as day two prospects, Donovan Peoples-Jones out of Michigan and Van Jefferson out of Florida. They also have some uh, some ability to boost the passing game if the Ravens do find themselves in one of those negative game scripts like they did against the Titans in the playoffs. Yeah, I liked a lot of the uh, options you mentioned there. I weirdly don't know a ton about T. Higgins. I have this thing where I watch a lot of Clemson this year, but I feel like when I watch a big pro- program like that, I'm just looking at the helmet sometimes and not really focusing on the individual players. But uh, yeah, Ruggs is kind of my dude. You, you hit on it. I think he's, uh, and I've talked about it with Spencer too. He's the absolute dream uh, crush at the wide receiver position. But uh, yeah, the kid Jefferson from LSU, uh, I don't necessarily see him as a first round prospect, but that's not really a bad thing. Like, I think if you could get him to fall to the second round and grab him up, he's a guy who plays a lot from the slot, very physical, uh, a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, you know, Michael Thomas went in the second round uh, doing, you know, similar things uh, at Ohio State. So I think if you could sure. get a guy like, yeah, get a guy like Jefferson, throw him in there as a good compliment to Hollywood Brown's skill set. He can learn a lot from Willie Sneed, uh, who plays out of the slot uh, as well. Uh, that could be you know, your, your dream, uh, option there in the second round, hopefully for the Ravens, but you know, you mentioned it, he can maybe sneak up into that first round there along with a guy like Chenault, who I've already mentioned uh, with Spencer that I like a lot. I think he could bring some good versatility and sort of a hard nosed physical, uh, violent playing style that would fit well here in Baltimore. 
I know you guys are going to continue breaking down these prospects. Spencer has uh, he really grinds that tape. A lot of respect for all the work he puts in. Yeah, he's a huge grind the tape guy. Nobody loves tape more than Spencer Schultz. But uh, yeah, we're obviously both uh, tape guys. You know ourselves. It's, it's coming out right here, right now. Can you feel it? We're having a little bit of a tape moment. Start to dig in. It was a lot. To, I didn't watch quite as much college this year as I had pre, you know last couple of years. So a little catching up to do. Yeah, I mean, it's tough uh, to stay tuned, especially as uh, you get a little bit older and you got other responsibilities going on. But uh, I tried to stay tuned in, and it was kind of tough for me as well. Um, I'm actually kind of miffed that I missed that LSU-Bama game because it looked awesome. But, uh, hey, I was seeing the Irishman in theaters, which was pretty sick. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that one. Got got bad reviews in my mind. Yeah, I – well, yeah. <laughs> but um, so I guess what else do we have on offense? Just offensive line? Offensive line, yep. Okay, so I guess left to right, you've got Ronnie Stanley, all pro, correct? Correct. Dude First is, team. Yeah, he's going to get uh, some fat stacks, as Jesse Pinkman would say. Uh, to the <laughs> left of him, you've got Bradley Bozeman and uh, a smattering of guys at times. You've got at center, it was Matt Scorer for a while, who was playing very well, uh, blew his knee out, and Pat McCarry stepped in and played pretty admirably for an undrafted rookie. To the right of them, Orlando Brown is going to be at right tackle next year and hopefully for the foreseeable future. And then the big question is at right guard. Yes, I think there's really three big questions among the offensive line group. Um, The first one is Ronnie Stanley's extension. But let's circle back to that. At center, I think Bozeman actually had a strong year too. So you're in good shape there at left guard. Center, the concern was Skura. It's the trifecta knee injury, the same one that Nico Siragusa had, the same one that uh, a few other players, Anthony Poindexter, a long time ago the Ravens drafted him. I don't know if you were even born yet, Jake, but... Uh, I know the name off the top of my okay. head. Okay, yeah. just kidding. <laughs> Not man. a big recollection. Uh, I don't know if he can come back from that. That's three of the four lead knee ligaments, plus I think it was a dislocated kneecap you definitely can't count on him next year. And I don't know if the Ravens want to throw the tender on him at all. Maybe the low-round tender, but they're not going to hit him with the second-round tender at this point. And McCarty played well, but uh, he didn't play great in the playoff game. So if you, you, it's possible you could upgrade there. I think you could maybe get away with McCarty if Yonda comes back. But that's no guarantee. If Yonda does not come back, that would add an additional $7 million to the cap above the $30 million that we were talking about, but uh, obviously that's a big loss. So in my mind, the interior offensive line is a pretty big, one of the top four offseason priorities right now. And um, Brandon Scurf, out of, uh, he was for the Redskins, injured most of last year. He's the big name. I think DeCoss is better off going in through the draft to hit the interior. And as I dig into this class a little bit, it looks like there are there's some good depth in day two. Three centers that are worth monitoring, keeping an eye on. Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan, Lloyd Cushenberry out of LSU, and Tyler Biatzik out of Wisconsin are the big three there. And then two guards also, LSU, LSU's Damian Lewis. I'm sorry, three guards, Ben Bredesen out of Michigan, and Solomon Kindley out of Georgia. Uh, and two of those six are from LSU, so uh, they're going to have to hide Ozzy if they make one of those picks, I think. 
LSU's Damian Lewis. Shout out to Bobby Axelrod. But uh, yeah, I mean, with offensive line, it's tough to, and I mean, pretty much impossible to build one that's, you know, great and high pedigree completely left or right. Like the Cowboys did it five or six years ago somehow where it just felt like they were all first rounders and they were all beasts. Uh, so it's something that you're really going to have difficulty doing. Uh, they're kind of there a little bit with Stanley on the left. Brown has a high pedigree in that third round at the right, and he's done a great job uh, as a guy who was a little bit doubted after a tough combat a couple of years ago. You really hope that Yonda does remain in the picture and give it one more go because that gives you so much more uh, you know, wiggle room to go and potentially make a move uh, at the other positions there, uh, at left guard and center. It feels like if you can make a significant upgrade at one of those spots and it probably isn't going to be center, uh, considering, uh, well, you're, and probably isn't going to be left guard considering Bozeman. Uh, sorry, I messed that up. Um, but yeah, it depends on what they want to do at center because it feels like they like to have their homegrown guys at certain positions, right? It just feels like an identity of this franchise to, you know, reward guys for playing well, despite, or, uh, you know, no matter where they come from. And a guy like, uh, Macari sort of embodies that from this past year, but like you said, a tough playoff performance and, uh, Ending the season on a poor note isn't really going to help you. And uh, those those knee injuries for interior guys especially, uh, that kind of does concern me a little bit. So Skura, uh, I'm not entirely sold on his future at well. So um, at this point, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking center would maybe be the position they're going to be uh, looking to upgrade on. It's a solid class. I think those are three solid prospects. And it's not an overreaction when the Ravens get dominated up front two years in a row and two playoff losses. It wasn't just one game, it's two games, and they could use just a, a mauler, a tone setter um, up front. But they're very in very good hands with the two bookend tackles. Stanley's the big question. He is going to play, uh, at this point, and barring an extension, he's going to play 2020 season on a fifth-year option for $12.9 million. That number's already factored in to our salary cap projection. It's an interesting case to me. He's one of the best in the game. We're the all-pro for sure. I think it is worth saying, though, he was helped by Lamar in the scheme a little bit last year. Um, is he worth paying $20 million a, a year right now? I'm not so sure, especially since the Ravens could potentially franchise tag him next year, and the cost would be closer to maybe about $14 million for 2021. Maybe a four- to five-year deal at $17 million per Makes some sense if they can backload it a little bit, create some more immediate cap space. But I don't think reaching a long-term deal with Stanley is the most important uh, early extension priority right now. Yeah, it's interesting. And, um, I mean, it just feels like a foregone conclusion sometimes that guys like that are going to remain in the picture. But, I mean, Eric Tocosta stared down C.J. Mosley last year and let him walk, and it wound up being 100% the right decision. So you just never know. Well, they've tagged. They tagged Haloti Nada. They tagged Terrell Suggs way back when. They let Ray Lewis test the market while he was still in his prime. And they still have Stanley. And the thing with Stanley is when he's already going to be the highest paid left tackle in the league, there's nowhere really to go but up. If you're doing an early extension, you're giving the player uh, a little security by giving them more money up front. And in, in exchange, you're, you're hypothetically saving a little bit when they can make on the open market. But if he's going to be the highest paid regardless – Maybe you let him play it out another year. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, the early extension thing, I mean, that's been DaCosta's thing since he got here, right? Or at least got here in the general manager role. I mean, Ozzie, 
had a little bit of an issue with letting guys, you know, hit their peak value and not necessarily locking them up at the right times. Either they he'd let them walk or he'd lock them up at peak value and then it would kind of be downhill from there. With the Costa, it's been some of these unheralded guys uh, like a Nick Boyle, um, like I guess you could throw Marcus Peters in there, some of these other guys that he's signed long term, Pat Ricard, Willie Sneed, uh, guys that are maybe unsung heroes of the team that he knows he can get on the cheap and uh, sort of, you know, a gesture of goodwill to kind of keep everyone in the picture together. Uh, it's going to be tested a little bit with a player of Stanley's caliber, but who knows? Maybe he'll get it done. Well, I, in fairness, Ozzy, he didn't have the cap space to sign people early. Yeah, that's true. But that's also his own fault at the same time. Yeah. So it goes both ways. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a chicken and an egg and a tight end who turned into a Hall of Fame general manager. But uh, <laughs> I guess that's all we got on offense. Anything else you want to throw out there? No, that's it. Let's let's hit the D. All right, so let's start up front with the big uglies. Your favorite defensive tackle expected to return: Brandon Williams, Chris Wormley, and the rookie Daylon Mack. He did not see a whole lot of action. I think Williams impressed me in 2019. I think it was his best season, to be totally honest with you. Um, <clears throat> did bring even a little bit of pass rush for a change. I think they definitely need to add Just gotta some gotta get your depth. shots in there. Well, no, I'm giving him credit. I mean, he really did. He had a really good game uh, in Seattle, if I remember, and a few other games. Um, but I think adding depth to Wormley and Mac is definitely very important, one of the major priorities. The big name uh, unrestricted free agent is Michael Pierce. Pecco and Ellis, the two midseason acquisitions, are also unrestricted. What are your what are your initial thoughts on Pierce? Hmm. I mean, it's really tough, man. Like you would think that a calendar year ago, probably that he'd be a guy that was going to get a ton of money, uh, and it just sort of feels, unfortunately for him, like he played his way out of a big contract. And I don't even know how big it was going to be with his position becoming more and more devalued these days, especially with Williams. I you know I I know I got on you there for maybe busting on him a lot, but it's not to say it wasn't warranted. I mean, the guy hasn't necessarily lived up to the money that he made on that contract back in 2016, and they're still kind of feeling the effects of it. So uh, from that standpoint, I don't think they're going to be wanting to pay Pierce a ton of money to remain in the picture after what happened with Williams. But, uh, you know, maybe he takes a prove-it deal and hangs around and tries to rebuild his stock a little bit uh, over the course of the next year. But uh, it's going to be tough to predict what will happen because it's a very unconventional spot to be in. I concur. That's well said. Teams, not many teams are willing to give Ron Pluggers, Brandon Williams size contracts anymore. I wouldn't go more than maybe five million on Pierce. Uh, but yeah, on a one year prove it deal, I think it makes some sense. If not, uh, fortunately, this is a very strong defensive line group uh, of pending free agents. Some of the guys I like, and there's quite a few DJ Re- Reader from the Texans, Eric Armstead from the 49ers. The Giants, Leonard Williams, the Seahawks, Gerard Reed, the Chiefs, Manny Agba, and the Steelers, Javon Hargrave. There's also a few more more veteran guys. The, the names I mentioned are more ascending younger players. If DaCosta allocates, say, six to eight million on a defensive lineman who can help pressure the quarterback, I think that'll be money very well spent. Yep, I agree with you on that. Um, so anything further on the defensive line? The, the draft-wise, I think Derek Brown and Javon Kinlaw are going to be way long on. Neville Gallimore maybe a day-two selection. 
potentially, but that's not a really deep class. I think free agent is the way to go here. Yeah, I mean, outside of Brown and Kinlaw, I'm not really sure I could name a guy from this class quite yet. I haven't dove in on the defensive line, um, so I guess more on that later uh, from my perspective, and uh, I'll defer to you on that. Uh, but moving up to the linebacker position, what are your initial thoughts? Uh, let's start at inside linebacker because your this favorite. might be a little bit. This might be a little bit of a contrarian take, but uh, I don't think it's a valuable position, and I don't think the Ravens should spend money on it. A lot of money on it in free agency or spend an early round draft pick. They had the number two weighted DVOA defense in twenty. 19 after having the number four in 2018 with C.J. Mosley. So the run defense wasn't good, and the team still won 14 games, and the defense by most metrics was even better. So I think that's a place where you save cap space. Returning, they have L.J. Ford, who had a – he was signed in the, mid, in the middle of the season and then received a contract extension in the middle of the season. Beyond him, Chris Board and Atara Alaka – I think uh, best case or maybe the smartest move would be to bring back unrestricted free agent Josh Josh Bynes or maybe another veteran such as Wesley Woodyard and then maybe add a mid-round draft pick and they'll be completely fine there. Yeah, I mean, it feels like and I give you shit for this sometimes, but I, you know, I'm, I'm kidding. I kind of agree with you that middle linebacker, not necessarily a valuable position anymore. It's kind of like what running back. Uh, or what's happening to the running back position on the offensive side of the ball, just kind of thumpers in the middle there that, you know, a lot of guys can do that job. And as unfortunate it is for some dudes that grew up paying that position or playing that position and want to get paid, uh, it seems to kind of be going the way the dodo bird, or at least the idea of them being the, uh, you know, face of a defense. So, and I mean, it is, you, you touched on Fort and Bynes when you can just pick guys up off the street that do a much better job of the guys that you had playing that position to the point where they go from being like the number 29 defensive DVOA uh, team to being the number two overall in a year. It kind of speaks volumes to the uh, uh, value or lack thereof at that position. Exactly. And uh, just to further drive home the point, Ken McCusick from Ravens Film Study, uh, I believe his website is called Film Study Baltimore, uh, made a great point. Two great points, actually. You have to save somewhere. Number one, you have to save somewhere when you're creating a roster. No team is flawless. Running back, maybe not in the Ravens scheme, but most schemes, and definitely in the Ravens scheme, inside linebacker is a great place to do it. Secondly, inside linebacker is a great position, conducive to a situational rotation, especially when you have a safety, whether it be Weddle in 2018 or Clark in 2019, relaying the signals. You can bring in one guy to stop the run, one other guy to cover the pass, or go to a different personnel package. Just just not worth paying and just not worth drafting high, in my opinion. I concur with you on that. Uh, as for a position you do value, outside linebacker. What do you think? Yes, certainly. So the Ravens only have two outside linebackers currently under contract, Tyus Bowser and Jalen Ferguson. Of course, the big domino, Matthew Judon. He's the big-name player. Previous years, the Ravens had, what, two, three, four big-name guys. He's really the big one this year. Pernell McPhee, who played well before injury, is also unrestricted, as is the underrated, in my mind, Jihad Ward. Yeah, I think Ward is a guy who, another one of those midseason pickups who, still kind of a young guy. He was, what, a second-round pick of the Colts a couple years ago, is that right? Or was he playing for the Colts and he had got drafted by another team? 
not totally sure, but uh, he's I don't a, remember who, but he was definitely a journeyman. Played for a few teams. It might have been the Steelers, even. Um, or but, the Rams, maybe. Yeah, something like that. But we should look this up. Yeah, I was gonna say we <laughs> could just keep sitting here and just totally botching this uh, as I, <laughs> I try to uh, explain my case. Um, but yeah, so. Okay, Oakland Raiders, Dallas Cowboys, Indianapolis Colts, Baltimore Ravens. So, yeah, he was a second-round pick of the Raiders back in 2016. Uh, so that was really sick way way to land the plane there, Jake. Uh, but, yeah, Ward as a guy, I see uh, somebody they could, you know, take a flyer on and, you know, hopefully keep around because he was a dude who came in midseason and uh, played pretty well for them ultimately. Um, and then outside of him, Jalen Ferguson – decent rookie year you want to see him step it up a little bit further we'll see what happens he was a third round pick so you kind of never know especially with their track record of you know semi early to mid round linebacker picks recently hasn't been great but hopefully he kind of bucks that trend but uh, I mean speaking of those types of guys you have a pass rusher like Zedary Smith leave town um, and then go kill it in Green Bay you'd hope that they wouldn't let that happen and then also let Judon walk so uh, in my mind I think it's going to be a little bit of a priority to keep Judon in town. Obviously, right player, right price uh, is going to be the mantra there, especially with the versatility Judon really started to play with this year. He wasn't just a pass rusher. He also did a good job against the run and dropping back when he had to. So uh, he's a guy that I'd like to see them reward for his uh, good hard work that he put in and, uh, you know, the good attitude that he brought, uh, especially after losing a homegrown guy like Zadarius Smith. I definitely agree with you on Ward. I think the the could consider maybe a two or three year deal he's only 25 years old he's a pretty good run defender he does pretty good providing reducing inside and and uh, providing some pass rush from the interior if war departs for some reason he may have caught somebody's eye for all we know and they're going to give him big money i think they should consider mcphee even at his age uh, i think you really want to have five edge rushers this day and age on judon the big topic I agree with you. I think in all the years past when pass rushers left, they always had one somebody to anchor the group to still come back and, and carry 80% of snaps like Judon did last year, a proven veteran. I think they're probably going to tag him. Um, $6.2 million for linebacker, $19.3 million for defensive end. Uh, and there's a chance he could kind of fight that and try to force his uh, to be classified as a defensive end, even though Judon, you know, he, he lined up on the line quite a bit, and he does does drop into coverage a little bit. I personally was a little disappointed with his run defense uh, down the stretch this year, but he, he is a very good pass rusher. He's a productive pass rusher. He's been consistent, more consistent than Darius Smith ever was. They do come in bunches, but at the end of the year – they tab up, and most of the great pass rushers, even Von Miller and Khalil Mack, their sacks come in bunches too. Um, and just looking at the other options, Jadavion Clowney's a better player objectively. So if DeCasa wants to go and spend $20 million a year on Clowney, if that's what he thinks is best, I would support that. But none of the other guys really move the needle. And Gakwe, not a great scheme fit. Shaq Barrett, Bud Dupree, both one-year wonders. Dante Fowler, he's a little bit intriguing, but do you really trust that they're going to transition into the Ravens scheme and provide what Judon did last season for the, for roughly the same cost, if not more? Um, so I think that's the case for Judon. I think he will be back. Uh, the question is, is it going to be 
maybe three year, 50 million, 55 million, or is it going to be on the one year tag? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, as much as we're talking about the sort of conventional idea that if you let a guy walk, then you pay the other guy and you keep the uh, homegrown dude in town. Well, Eric DaCosta has shown that he has the ability to be pretty calculating and unemotional with this stuff. He let Eric Weddle uh, go, you know, released him and, uh, you know, he just brings in Earl Thomas on, on a uh, uh, relatively big number uh, to replace him there. And he was, you know, it's it's not to say that, you know, it's anything against Weddle by the organization or anything like that, but it was just, you know, done in a very business-like manner. It wasn't like anything really emotional about it. So I could see him uh, coming at it from that perspective as well, because like you said, I think Clowney is just objectively the better player. It seems like he uh, might be getting away from Seattle there. So ultimately, if he hits the market and DaCosta says, uh, yeah, I'd rather have this guy on my team with the way that Earl Thomas thing worked out, uh, you know, I'd be willing to listen. Clown, their numbers are very similar, Judon and Clowney, but Clowney, I think, is a better run defender. Well, yeah, Clowney's and never he, been a big right. sack guy. Like, that was kind of his thing coming out of college. It's like people thought he was going to be a 20-sack-a-year type of player, and it just it hasn't come like that for him, ultimately, which is, you know, weird considering he was playing next to J.J. Watt. But, I mean, there were injury issues and everything, but he settled into a nice role as a, like, do-it-all outside linebacker who's great against the run, uh, can get you 10 sacks a year, and uh, drop back when he needs to. Yeah, if you believe that edge rusher is an important position, then the Ravens really need either Clowney or Judon. I think no two ways about it. There is uh, a thought that you're scheming back to front, right, already with a bunch of lockdown corners and safeties, and you're already scheming up pressure. So maybe you just completely punt on the outside linebacker position. I personally don't agree with that, but I, I could see the logic in it potentially a little bit of logic regardless though you're not just going to be able to draft somebody that's just going to fill right in and and do what judon did not at 28 no chance all those kind of pass rushers go in the top 10 every single year top 15 at best but i do think even if they do keep judon and ward or mcphee so that gives you four i still think the ravens should aim to draft a fifth a fifth edge defender the best prospects will be going at 28 for sure, but I think the Casa could target Spencer's guy, Joe Greenard, Michigan's Josh Uche, or Notre Dame's Julian Aquara on day two potentially. And then maybe you turn what was a weakness in 2019 into a strength in 2020. That's where a potential fourth round pick for a guy like RG3 becomes huge. Because if you're able to flip that, then that's ammo to move up in, like, say, the second round and go and get your guy. So, I mean, there, there's definitely waves to uh, what this roster construction is ultimately going to turn into. And it's just uh, compensation for guys like that. It might not sound like a lot at one at one point, but, you know, it ultimately turns into ammo and uh, just capital that you can use to improve your roster in uh, many different ways. Sure, sure, no doubt. Yeah, so moving up, you mentioned the fact that they – Constructed this roster this past year from outside in to, I would say, rave reviews, and arguably their best and deepest position on the roster is cornerback. Yeah, great to lock up Marcus Peters when DaCosta did. To be honest, that was a below-market deal. He took a discount to play with the Ravens, and that just speaks to uh, the, the the ability this team has and the, the, the fun they have playing together, camaraderie. Um, Peters could have got more money than than the $15 million cap that he's facing next year. He's the best ball hawk since Ed Reed. Um, also have Humphrey, just completed his third year. Anthony Averett, 
Iman Marshall round out the players under contract. Then you have Jimmy Smith, unrestricted free agent. Brandon Carr has a $7 million option. And Tavon Young, $8 million next year after that extension. He didn't play last season after a nerve injury in his neck. Apparently, excuse me, a disc issue in his neck. Uh, it was recently reported that Tavon is expected to be a full go at OTAs, I believe, last week, which is which is huge. So that really gives the Ravens three. I still think they want to going to want to bring back either Jimmy or Carr. Uh, to, it's an injury prone position. It really is. Who, who do you prefer between Jimmy and Carr? Everything being equal, uh, I would probably go Jimmy. To be honest. Uh, I just think that he's a guy who is when he is on, even you know getting a little bit older, he is just absolutely all the way on. And uh, he's a great dude to uh, have when you're sort of in a pinch. He's a clutch player, as he showed in his second year when he essentially won this franchise, their second Super Bowl, with his uh, clutch play against Michael Crabtree. And uh, these days he's obviously maybe losing it in the legs a little bit with a lot of the injuries he's had. He's a much older uh, I think 31. Um, 31. Yeah. He'll be 31. Yeah. Then maybe some other 31 year olds, but uh, he's a guy who is a wily vet. Um, he knows his way around uh, coming back from injury, certainly, which is kind of an unfortunate thing, but should it come to that, uh, you think he's going to be ready uh, to come back. But ultimately I think he's just a guy who, uh, you know, I think is great to have around from a confidence perspective. It just feels like when he's on and playing well, the rest of the defense just gets fired up and they're, uh, you know, feeding off of his energy that he brings. I love Brandon Carr. I think he's been in a tremendous uh, asset to this organization since they brought him in as kind of a underrated uh, signing, or at least a signing that there wasn't a ton of fanfare around at the time. I remember uh, weirdly like Mo Claiborne was the big name that they were thinking about uh, bringing yeah. in. And yeah, they chose to go with Carr, the other former Cowboy and it's worked out great. He's played very well for them. I'd prefer to keep him in the picture if at all possible, but if it comes down to it, I'd probably go with the, Homegrown Jimmy Smith, uh, who's a little bit younger, over Brandon Carr at this point, but we'll see what happens. Agreed. Nothing but respect for Brandon Carr, consummate professional. Jimmy's still playing at a high level. He is very physical. And uh, just looking at who played last year, the depth chart last year, obviously the Ravens think Jimmy is better than Carr at this point. If they release Carr, it would uh, not release. They just decline his option, actually. It would unlock $6 million of cap space. So maybe Jimmy, Jimmy's willing to pay, play for six or maybe eight. He uh, recently had an interview on BaltimoreRavens.com, and he seemed willing to kind of uh, agree to a team-friendly deal. He said something along the lines of the team stuck by me and paid me, and now it's my turn to return the favor. Not in those words, obviously. But um, I, I would prefer to keep Jimmy. I also think as far as the cornerbacks are concerned – this this offseason is the time to re-sign Marlon Humphrey long-term. I think it's a bigger priority than Stanley because there is more potential savings. Humphrey also an all-pro, also a premium position, young guy. The difference is he's not considered the best of the best yet, and the cornerback market's been a little bit depressed the last couple of years. Nobody's really broken the bank now you have Jalen Ramsey, Tredavious White, and Marshawn Lattimore all eligible to receive new contracts. Ramsey will get a new contract for sure unless he gets tagged. Uh, I think ideally the Ravens can buy out the fourth and fifth year of Humphrey's fifth-year option, I should say, of, of Humphrey's pact, and then hit him with a four- to five-year, maybe a backloaded contract, averaging 14 to $16 million per year, 
I think if they wait till next year, it's going to cost them a couple more million per. Yeah, I mean, it's weird, um, but I think the Ravens lose at least two more games than they did at least without Marlon Humphrey in the picture. I mean, he was just such a game-changing talent uh, with the fumbles and the fumble recoveries. I think, you know, the season, it got off to a rough start, and you go into Pittsburgh, it's a rough, ugly game, and he just snatches victory from the jaws of defeat with the peanut punch and then the recovery, and that sets up Tucker for the field goal. Then he's recovering a fumble for a touchdown against Seattle, and he does the same thing against New England. And like I mentioned with Jimmy, it just feels like a guy who the rest of the team just feeds off of and gets fired up. And you don't want to put too much stock into that when evaluating like the contract uh, for a guy like that. But ultimately, I just think it's something that feeds into kind of his persona and the legend of him that is growing around here. It feels like he's going to be one of the next in line of the great Raven defenders. Uh, and I think it's going to be a joy to watch him around here for another decade if we get the opportunity to do so. And I think, uh, like you mentioned, that should be a big time priority this offseason because uh, he's going to make a lot of money the longer and longer they wait to get this thing done. Absolutely. And just to touch on the point of a backloader contract and the Ravens could potentially backload Humphreys and Stanleys and Judons and, who knows? Maybe the new collective bargaining agreement is going to give them a lot more breathing room. The rate the players are supposed to are potentially projected to receive five to 10 percent more of the total pie, the total revenues. But regardless of that, I think it's OK right now to backload deals and restructure contracts to borrow from future seasons. In the past, when they did it, especially during the Flacco years, post Super Bowl Flacco years, they were contending for the playoffs and they still would sign aging veterans to two year deals where the second year had a lot of dead money and eat that money. Now they're set up to contend for the Super Bowl in 2020. Lamar's cheap and they have what, seven, seven or eight premium position pro bowlers returning, guaranteed to return. Now is the perfect time. You go all in, win now mode for sure. If there ever was a time to do backloaded deals and restructured deals, it's right now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when you're trying to capitalize on that rookie contract, as has been the hot trend around the league uh, to varying degrees of success, but we have seen uh, it, you know, win a Super Bowl for teams like the Eagles. I mean, <laughs> I know it didn't exactly work out the way they were expecting to with Carson Wentz getting injured and Nick Foles stepping in, but that just speaks to having good depth on a roster uh, thanks to the extra affordability that you get. Uh, from a cheap deal. That's why they were able to bring a guy like Nick Foles into the picture there. So, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting conversation for sure. Oh, for sure. For sure. And the Ravens are always going to be deep. I refuse to believe that if they, they're ever going to really have a top-heavy roster because that's in their DNA. They're always going to have UDFAs that become exclusive right-free agents and have a bunch of picks on day three. I really don't think that depth's ever going to be an issue for this franchise. Yep, you wouldn't think so, especially uh, – with their ability to churn the roster with undrafted free agents and uh, some of the more unheralded guys that they luck their way into, or maybe not luck, but uh, that they hit on uh, when they maybe weren't expected to. But moving on, uh, finally, we have the safety position uh, headlined by Mr. Earl Thomas. Uh, and the big question now coming at strong safety, maybe not even much of a question. Uh, Chuck Clark played well there. Uh, in the absence of Tony Jefferson, who is going to be carrying a pretty sizable figure should they choose to keep him around on the roster, the prevailing notion right now seems to be that he is probably going to be released. Uh, almost guaranteed. Uh, I think this is maybe the easiest cap casualty decision they've had to make in a long time. 
It will free up $7 million in net savings if Jefferson is released. Would have been even more. He'd still carry in $4.7 million in dead cap because they restructured Jefferson twice. But um, I think now's the time, especially with Clark emerging. Just looking at the, the returning players on the contract, L. Thomas, obviously. Clark is entering the final year of his deal. Uh, Deshaun Elliott, hopefully he can stay healthy. And that's pretty much it. Trawick. Levine and Richards, special teams guys, primarily are all unrestricted. Um, so I guess the big question here, and I think Jefferson's a goner, I mean, almost for sure. But Clark, is now the time to offer him an early extension? And what would you be comfortable paying him? So I was literally saying this after the Jets game, like when he got that interception. And it's like, you know what? We've kind of been dancing around it or maybe not even consciously dancing around it, but this is a, a guy who's playing his way into a long-term role here and uh, it would be smart for DaCosta to lock this guy up before he uh, is, you know, winds up hitting the market and becomes too expensive. I think, uh, and I was talking about this with Daniel from the sun about this as well. It just feels like one of those guys who uh, really stepped up and earned himself that payday big time. Uh, and he did it the right way that they like to see it done around here late round pick it's just it's the right thing to do to reward a guy like that and show other young guys who are maybe coming from unheralded positions that you can earn this you just got to work for it and uh really smart cerebral dude so he's the guy that you'd like to have at the heart of your defense for a long time for me i was thinking something along the lines of maybe like a three-year deal let's maybe say like 21 million with like 16 guaranteed so that i think that would net out to like three and i think i was thinking like six and a half or seven million a year i'm not sure what uh your thoughts on that would be i don't think that's crazy high i think he's probably worth closer to around five right now and he's definitely a valuable player cerebral like you said relay the signals um just to keep in mind though he's only started for one year well yeah i meant so when i say that i think that's his like optimal value as for like right now i'd be more like five five and a half would be my range right now yeah, that'd be. I think that's it because he's 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 not great in pass coverage. Um, as we saw, Tennessee targeted him on that play action bomb, um, but definitely would like to keep him around. So I think you make him a solid offer now, and if not, you go into next off season and you see what happens. Yeah, I think you want to keep Clark around, but he doesn't deserve to be making crazy money and safety isn't a position that's super high paid, at least for the strong safety box safety types. But just uh, regardless of Clark, they're going to have Elliott, Thomas, and Clark. Um, Levine, been a great player. Really enjoyed him. He's been underrated Raven. I think his time has come. I think it's time to get a little bit younger there maybe. Richards might be the guy who you get younger with. He returned, I believe, or recovered the fumble against Pitt uh, in the final game. But I think you also want to probably draft a a rangy safety if you can find one in the mid to late rounds. Yeah, and I mean, that's a a word that is used to characterize uh, Deshaun Elliott a lot. So we'll see what happens with him as a six-round pick. He's a dude, uh, another guy with a career or a season-ending injury uh, that knocked him out of the picture. Um, And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him. And uh, yeah, I think this is a position that you – continue to beef up because it has shown itself to be very valuable in the modern NFL with the way the passing game has exploded the last several years. Absolutely. So just to summarize, I think uh, just judging by the depth and where the, where the, what the Ravens need and where the strengths are in free agency and where the strengths are in the draft, 
I think they want to most likely add a defensive lineman and a edge rusher in free agency. Maybe that's keeping their own. Maybe that's going outside. Um, and I think those should be really the two big free agent expenditures. And then in the draft, you want to target wide receiver, interior offensive line, defensive line again, edge rusher again, and then maybe inside linebackers when you know when you have to take somebody. Yep. And then uh, obviously after the draft is over, you go and find some like kicker punter hybrid from Sam Houston State, have them have a good preseason, and then flip him for like a fourth round pick. That sounds like a plan for sure. <laughs> yep, definitely. So uh, I think with that, uh, we've, we're all rostered out here. What, what do you say? You think uh, we covered yeah, it pretty I'm, well? I'm just fascinated to see how this Takasa is going to continue to evolve this roster with his more modern philosophy and, and what positions he's going to target and, uh, and how he takes analytics and applies it and all that stuff. Should be a really fun offseason. And the best thing is the Ravens are in great position, the best position roster-wise and cap-wise that they've been in a long, long time. Yep, it feels like they've got the uh, clay out in front of them and they're free to start molding it uh, almost however they want. I mean, they're not going to be limited uh, or I mean, they're not going to be, you know, flush with cap space, but they're not going to be nearly as limited as they were the last couple of years with Flacco sort of holding them down as an alb- albatross. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to see, ton of possibilities, uh, some of which that we didn't even mention quite yet. I'm sure we'll get into it uh, down the line. Uh, I will with Spencer, and then obviously we'll be getting you on here a ton over the offseason to uh, parse through this stuff. But uh, great job, buddy. Always great to hear your voice, and uh hope you have a great night. Absolutely. Same to you. All right, man. Talk to you soon. Later. You see, I don't, I ain't no big sack, man. I don't like sacks, man. Mm-hmm. I love see, sacks take me out of my game. I like running both down. I like interceptions and touchdowns. Busting up the screen. Blocking punts. Like, <laughs> you in the gutter. You yeah, in, I like you that. You in the gun. I like body. that bump you of the <laughs> 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 He like the trench work. That boy yeah. like to get down. Like down and dirty. I like busting up screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just like hitting quarterbacks. Yeah. That's what I'm That's my plan. That's a nice. I grab a quarterback. <laughs> 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 bang, 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 all day. <laughs> <laughs>